see your faces. And uh, here we are at Mount Baker Bible Way Camp. Uh, there's about 75 of us here in this uh, chapel here. And many have joined us now by uh, the streaming audience and the Zoom audience. It's so wonderful to be able to see your faces and uh, to see that you're connected tonight. We want to welcome you uh, into the service. Um, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. We have some visitors here tonight. Maybe you could just wave your hand. Uh, we have a visitor, Sister uh, Gilpin, all the way from Indiana and Kentucky. Would you just wave your hand? God bless you. She's here with the pals tonight. Uh, Sister Elias Laster is there back there by Brother Josh Rivas. They're engaged to be married here in a few months. So we welcome you tonight, Sister Elia from Kentucky. Brother Justin Lovall is here from Arizona. Can you just wave your hand, Brother Justin, the brother of Brother Jeremiah, we welcome you tonight. Trust you feel at home. And Sister Deborah Perkins, I don't I don't think you're a visitor. I think you're just back home again. Nice to see you, Sister Deborah. Amen. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Hallelujah. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Glory to God. We want to give an announcement uh, that wasn't mentioned this morning. Uh, this Friday night at 7 o'clock, there's going to be a youth meeting. So all the young people, young adults, if you could be prepared for this Friday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, right now it's going to be on Zoom. There, there might be an opportunity either this Friday night or for very soon for it to be uh, a live service in Canada and or the United States. So just be watching uh, for the announcement for sure Wednesday night. We'll give that announcement. 7 o'clock this Friday night, a young people service. We just so enjoyed Brother Kyle Morton's uh, last youth meeting. And uh, just so grateful that right before the rapture here, God's strengthening all of us from the children, young people, middle-aged, older ones. You have a place in the body of Jesus Christ. Now, tonight we have a grand privilege. Uh, we have someone, uh, Brother Ernie Villanueva, just made a confession to me. And he said, Brother John, I'm 70 years old. But he said he believes his best days are still ahead of him. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's just thank the Lord for Brother Ernie. Let's give him a round of applause. 70 years old. My brother Ernie. You don't look 70, brother. You look a lot younger. God's kept you young and good looking. We can say that publicly. Amen. God bless you, Brother Ernie. And tonight's going to be Brother Ernie's last uh, service for a little while. He's going down to Seattle on Friday night and then flying out on Wednesday for some uh, many multiple weeks of meetings down in the south. So tonight we just want to encourage. We want to strengthen with our positive amens. We want to get into the spirit. We want to worship God and let's not be spectators tonight. Let's not make this a type of service for Brother Ernie where he's slugging it out but let's just make this one where we can shout hallelujah. We can wave our hand. We can receive the word. Amen. We're participators. We're creating an atmosphere and you on the Zoom uh, don't forget that Brother Ernie can see you and see your faces. It's so nice to see you tonight. We welcome you and uh, in the name of the Lord, as we just stand tonight, uh, we can all, we were to stand and tonight and create in me a clean heart, oh God. You on the Zoom, you in your homes, sing tonight as we welcome Brother Ernie. Create in me, 
Oh, create in me a clean. Let's just prepare our hearts now. Oh, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, create in me a clean heart. Oh, and renew a right spirit. God bless you tonight. You can have your seats just for a couple of minutes before we get into the Word. I want to say this. uh, It's a real strange time that we're living in, but nothing has taken God by surprise. This is the culmination of God's love story that he wrote before the foundation of the world. Uh, This virus, he, he knew it was coming. He knew the squeeze was coming. And I remember many years ago, Brother Bisco said, God will cause supernatural conditions to squeeze the bride into her position. And uh, things like that, when phrases like that, they stick in my mind. I don't know what it is, but uh, in so many things over the years that I have studied and I've heard preached about and I take my notes and I go back and I go back and see what Brother Branham said. And uh, this message is the only thing in the world. That sounds like it's too good to be true. And yet we cannot even begin to plumb the depths of what God has for us. As Paul said, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, and the mind of man has not even begun to imagine the things that God has for those that love him. And, uh, you know, we have, a, we have an eternal future ahead of us. And, you know, what that eternity means and what God... The one thing I know for sure, you will never be bored throughout all of eternity. You're not going to be sitting around and say, oh, I heard that before. Yeah, here he goes again, you know, and how, how long is he going to be? And how, It's not going to be like that in eternity, friends. We're going to have a mind. We're going to, everything's going to operate by faith. And uh, this is a journey. Even the people, if you take the people from the 1800s to the 1900s, the journey that that they went on just the turn of the century and then the people they had uh, they had good businesses they had horse and buggy businesses and all of a sudden here comes the automobile around and all the horse and buggy businesses they had to reinvent themselves and so uh, as time has has gone on whoever imagined that you could travel any place in the world and be there in less than 24 hours 
Try to imagine trying to tell somebody that in the 1800s, they didn't even know how big the world was. They had no scope. They had no imagination. But God has given us a dream machine because of the revelation of the word to see that the best days, the best days that we have are always ahead of us for a believer. And so, uh, you know, I, I remember back in when I in my days of Pentecost and the Christian television became a big thing. And we used to talk about people and we kind of joked about them and because a lot of people, they would stay home. And they would watch the service, watch a service from, uh, you know, one of the great evangelists on television. And uh, we used to call those people bedside Baptist. Because they just sit around and just sit around and hear the word and see the rejoicing. And yeah, I've been to church today. Now, I never dreamed in a million years that we'd be doing the same thing. But by the grace of God, the streaming service and the ability of the ministers, even though Brother Tommy's standing in front of hardly anybody in the church, and for him to be able to to have that anointing and, and to be able to come forth, and Brother Tim and Brother Murphy and Brother Brother John and Brother Ken and every everybody who has ministered through that stream service, it's been a blessing to me. I, I, I can tell you that. And, uh, it, you know, it's like going to the gym. When you go to the gym and you work out every once in a while, first of all, maybe you have 40 pounds of weight on there. And 40 pounds is heavy. But after a while, you get 50 pounds. Then you get 60 pounds. And uh, that's how our spiritual life is. The more you live in the Word, the greater this Word is going to be, the more excited you're going to be. And we've got something to be excited about. Can you imagine, you know, we, we just heard that they had some kind of a big lottery. I don't even know where it was or how much it was, but somebody had a big lottery win. Now, you just imagine if they told you that we found a ticket that you didn't know that you had. And you just won $10 million. You think it'd say, oh, praise the Lord. I got $10 million coming. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you go to church, you feel like you're in the land of nod. People just sit there and they just nod. Land of nod. We've got something to be excited. If, if a person cannot get excited about this, you know, there's nothing to be excited about. You know, like Brother Ed said, if you don't receive this message, welcome to the tribulation. That's another one that stuck in my mind. And so I, I think I've said, said enough. Maybe we can stand and I'd like to invite you to look at Romans. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And uh, a while ago I spoke a message. It's been quite a while. Um, I, I thought about I looked at my calendar. I haven't been to Canada for over a year. Because I left, Canada, I left uh, America 19th of January last year. And I came back on... On Mar- or this year, or last year, <laughs> I get my years mixed up. But but I came back on March the 19th, and I was slated to fly into Vancouver. And Brother John said, "No, brother, and you better you better fly into Seattle because they're going to close the border." And he was right. The next day, they closed they closed that border, and uh, so it's an electronic age. It's electronic message that we're receiving through the stream. But let's not, you know, let's get plugged in. Let's get plugged in with some supernatural current tonight as we look at the word. 
And uh, before we read it, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you for each believer that's represented here tonight, the life they've lived, the challenges that have come into their life, the things they've overcome, the grace they've received, the love that we've received, and and then in return, the love that we want to project upon everybody that we come in contact with. We have a message of perfect love. And that's the day that we're living in. That's the day that's going to be required of us to manifest perfect love. Because without it, a prophet of God has said there's no rapture. So we ask you tonight, Lord, to just quicken our thoughts. Quicken our minds to the lateness of the hour. To the seriousness of the hour. And let us run. Let us run to the cross. Let us know that this, this life that we're living, it's really, it's not about us. It's about Christ. It's about the life that Christ has given to us and the life that we can present back to him. So we thank you, Lord, for all that you have done in each one's life. We ask that you would continue to bless them and lead and guide and direct them in a supernatural path. We ask all these blessings. In your precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You know, I think about that. When we close our eyes and when we pray, we're entering into a, it's a supernatural dimension. And, and you're not praying. Some people, when they think about God, they just think about, well, you know, Jesus, he, he lived a life and he died on the cross. And, but the God that we live, the God that we serve, he said, let there be in all the galaxies and the trillions of stars that are out there. Everything came into being because he said, let there be. And that God has given me the privilege of be, getting on my knees and address him and to know that, uh, you know, we, we, we need to humble ourselves before that God. Humble ourselves. Brother Random said you can never, ever, you can pray too much, you can preach too much, but um, you can preach too much, sing too much, but you can't pray too much. And so I want you to look with me to Romans 12, first verse Paul says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service you ever see what somebody says they want to make a demand of somebody they say well you know that sounds reasonable yeah I think that's that's reasonable and so we're told here to present our bodies we have to present our body. Nobody else is going to present our bodies. We have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Boy, that's a big one. Be not conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to sports, Hollywood, movies, music entertainment, business. Don't be conformed to that. We have to live in the world, but we are not of the world. 
It reminded me of a story about the, the deep sea diver. And when before he was going into the sea, he knew he was going into a hostile foreign environment, a dangerous environment. But he put on his wetsuit. He put on his mask. He had his tanks on there. And then he went in the water. So because the deep sea diver was prepared, he was in the water, but the water never got in the deep sea diver. And that's how we are. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're just pilgrims, strangers. We're just passing through. And in a blink of an eye, it's all going to be over. And the only thing we're taking with us is our character. And so he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye might prove what is that good and profitable, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God bless you. You can have your seats. I'm going to read some scriptures, and uh, I know one one passage is going to be rather long. But Brother Branham speaks about a book, and he recommended the book. It's called The Prince. Of the house of David. And I've just got finished reading that book for I don't know how many times. The first time I read it, I was at Brother Perry Green's church. And he had an apartment above the church where he had the minister stay. It was a beautiful apartment. Brother John, you've probably been there. And he has a bookshelf. And the bookshelf goes all around the room. And there's literally hundreds and hundreds of books there. And so I'm there. And I was only in the message just a short time. And uh, Brother Perry invited me to come, put me in the room. And so I'm walking around and I'm looking at all these books and all these titles. And I see this one, Prince of the House of David. And I got into the room probably about 7 o'clock. And uh, so I took that book and I began to open it. And I was up till 4 o'clock in the morning. I read the entire book. I could not put that book down. Has anybody else ever read that book? Prince of the House of David. Sure, I see Sister Sally's read it. Brother John, you've read it, haven't you? Yeah, a little. Well, it it has it has literally taken me right back into that first dimension. It makes the life of 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 Jesus Christ come so alive because it is spoken. This author was Ingram is his name. He is a spiritual genius. He was able to take the life of Jesus and he's able to transport this young girl from a family and and puts her into Jerusalem right about the time that Jesus is coming. And so she begins to write and she's got friends and and relatives and they start telling about Jesus of Nazareth. They begin to track his ministry and all the things that he's done. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just like it magnifies the beauty and the life and the character of Jesus and the supernatural and the experiences that he had. And so in Leviticus, in chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And when any will offer a meal, a meal offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense upon it. So there's many different kinds of offerings. But we're going to talk tonight about a meal offering. And it starts here in verse 2. And he shall bring it to Aaron's son and a priest. And he shall take thereof his handful of flour thereof 
and the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial upon the altar. And it shall be an offering by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering, bacon in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, bacon in a pan, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mingled with oil. And thou shalt part it in pieces and pour oil thereof. It is a meat offering. So these are the, the, the elements if you, if you think about what he's saying. If thy oblation be a meat offering, bacon in the frying pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil, and thou shalt bring the meat offering that is made of those things unto the Lord. And when it is presented unto the priest, he shall take it to the altar. Now in verse 11, it says, No meat offering which he shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, or any offerings of the Lord made by fire. And if thy oblation be, the oblation be, as for the oblation of the first fruits, ye shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savoring. And every oblation on meat offering shall thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of God to be lacking from thy meat offering with all those things thou shalt offer salt and so the elements of this offering first of all you have to have the meal and the meal brother Branham talked about a burr they had a device and he said when they took this device and they took and they and they ground the grain every piece of that grain came out exactly the same size and brother Branham spoke about the burr 38 times so it's something that he had in his mind. And if a prophet talks about something 38 times, I'm interested in that. I want to see about that. And all these things are types. You know, Brother Branham said, I'm a typologist. And any man who truly knows the Bible will be a typologist. And I can tell you, I went to Bible school and I came out of Bible school and I did not know what a type was. Not a clue. In fact, most people in Pentecost, they tell you, forget about the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. That's the law. We're in the New Testament. We're under grace. And they miss so much of the beauty and, 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 and the love and the types that God has laid out. So first of all, it's got to be that fine flour. Then there's got to be oil that's got to be put in there. And then the flour and the oil has got to be mixed real good, mixed together. And then there's got to be frankincense put on there. And frankincense is the most precious kind of, of an anointing. And the beauty of the frankincense is that it is only released when fire is applied to it. So you got the meal offering with the, the flour, the oil, the frankincense. And then we're told no salt or no honey. But make sure you put the salt in there. The reason that you put the salt in there is because it's a preservative. And these things, one of them is a, a meal offering and it talks about bacon in the oven or it can be bacon in a pan or it can be bacon in the frying pan. So these are things that I want to be able to bring out a little bit, a little bit later. So flour, 
oil, frankincense, salt, no honey, no leaven. No leaven is very, very important. And so we, we look now in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start looking at the life of Jesus. In verse 12 or 13, And when the devil had ended all the temptations, he departed from him for a season. And Jesus returned to in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region around about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So Jesus was just a young man at that time. And he knew that his ministry, it was time for his ministry. But before that, he went to the desert and he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And that book, The Prince of the House of David, it brings out, it just, it just analyzes what Jesus must have gone through, not having any food for 40 days, not having any water for 40 days, and how God kept him. Think about sleeping out in the desert, a hot desert in the daytime, cold at nighttime, no food, no water, all the elements around him, and Satan's right there trying to tempt him, trying to trick him, trying to trap him. Anybody ever had that feeling? That the devil is right on your tail and he's trying to tell you things. He's trying to lead you in a path. And the Holy Ghost is saying, no, 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 no. Be careful. Watch it. And so that's what Jesus went through. So now he comes back and he's coming back home. He's coming to his hometown. Now, the reason I'm looking hard at this is because... A while ago, I didn't need glasses. It was, a, it was a paradox. I had glasses, and then when God healed my feet, he healed my eyes at the same time. But last week, I started looking at the Bible, and I said, whoa, what's happening here? Because before, it was perfectly clear, and now i got to get a pair of glasses. <laughs> and he came to Nazareth. When he had been brought up with, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the sick or heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now you imagine they were the ones they came to Jesus and they handed him the book and he looked at the place, the appointed place and he began to read. And when he read, after he read, he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And you know, sometimes just one little word in a phrase means a lot. And it says, and he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all. A-L-L. So, he stood up, read, sat down, and everybody's staring at him. 
Well, is that it? And then he said, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And the answer was, no. It was not Joseph's son. Joseph was a stepfather, but, but he wasn't, he wasn't his father. And he said unto them, ye will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. In other words, they were saying, we want to see a miracle. We've heard about the miracles. We've heard about the blind eyes and the deaf ears. We've heard about the multiplying of the loaves and the fishes. And now you've come to the hometown. So we want to see a miracle. And he said, verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Uh, can anybody remember what country Brother Brandon was born in? America. No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when heaven was shut up three years and six months. When great famine was throughout the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent. Save unto Sarepta, a city of Sodom. Unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elias the prophet. And none of them was cleansed. Save Naaman the Syrian. So I want to go back to First Kings. It seemed like we're going backwards. But we're just going from the New Testament back to the Old Testament. And in First Kings... Chapter 16. Verse 23. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, began Omri to reign over Israel 12 years, 6 Six years reigned in Tisha. Sorry, I got to put my Bible back up here. <laughs> and he bought the hill Samaria of Shema for two talents of silver and built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shema, owner of the hill Shemar. But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now listen, this is how one sentence can mean so much. Said, and he did evil worse than all that were before him. It's a bad man. He did more evil than every king that had come before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and in his sin worth. He made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord of Israel to anger with their vanities, with their emptiness. At the end of Solomon's life, the richest man that had ever lived up to that time, a man who had everything. And at the end of his life, he said, vanity, vanity, all 
is vanity, a mere chasing after the wind. So I thought about that. Here we are. I'm just bugs and dust. Yeah. Uh, and and here, here, here people are bugs and dust chasing after the wind. That's not a good situation. <laughs> You're not going to come to a good end on that. Now, the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and his might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, this is where we come to our lesson. And Ahab, his son, reigned in his stead. And in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and 2 years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So things are not getting better. Things are getting worse and worse. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing, just a little thing. For him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nabat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. In other words, the king, the king of Israel went and he got himself a pagan wife, a pagan heathen wife. And he knew that, but he had no fear of God. And he began to worship her God, not the God of the people that he was supposed to be reigning over. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. Now we read in Luke 17. I'm sure most believers, I mean... In, Second Kings 17, First Kings 17, a verse very familiar to all message believers. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now Elijah, he comes out of nowhere. We don't have any record of him. We don't have any pedigree, any lineage of him. He just comes out and he goes to the king and he said, there is not going to be a drop of rain that's not going to fall until I call for it. Now, what do you think the king's response was to that? He probably laughed at him. He said, who's this crank? Who's this? Where'd he come from? Come from the hill somewhere? And he come down here. He's got the nerve to come up to me. The king and tell me there's going to be a drought. And there was a drought. And where there is a drought, there is a famine. And there was no rain that fell. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I, this is where he gets supernatural now. He said, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So God had already commanded the ravens, be on, be on alert. I got, I'm going to use you. I've got my man coming here. And he's going to be need to be fed. 
So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Now, Brother Branham was asked the question, where, where did these ravens get the bread and the flesh every day? And Brother Branham said, the same place where Jesus went to, to multiply the loaves and the fishes and feed all those thousands of people. So God's got a bakery somewhere. Supernatural bakery. And when the time is right, he can provide the need. And when your time is right and your, your life is right, he will give you the desires of your heart. And I pray to God that the desires of your heart are to serve him with all your heart and all your life. And then you will be a happy man, a happy woman. Will there be challenges? Yes, there will be challenges. Will there be trials? Yes, there will be trials. A good friend of mine, he used to say all the time, as he was getting further and further and further into the Word, deeper into truth, he said, you know, Brother Ernie, he said, what I realized, another level, another devil. In other words, every time he was getting deeper and deeper into the word, Satan was coming trying to fight him and try to drag him back to Pentecost and try to make him doubt. This can't be real. I mean, you know, how, how, can, how can a man stand and tell people who they are, where they are, what their address is, and go back two and three generations with the people? And one time he had all of his books and tapes in the car and the devil came upon him so strong. And he thought, he thought he was being totally deceived and he was in a cult and he was driving along the interstate and he drove into a gas station and he took all his books and tapes and dumped them in the dumpster and he jumped back in his car and raced the car down the road. Didn't want to see those books or tapes anymore until he finally realized this is the truth and he couldn't go back to the dumpster. So he had to get new books and new tapes. So when somebody comes to the word and you see that they're, that they're making progress and then a little bit, you know, sometimes they just draw back a little bit. It's because that the same devil that tempted Jesus, the same devil has got his minions, his principalities, powers, rulers, evil spirits on the scene. And now they got reinforcements in the last century, a hundred million, I mean, 200 million supernatural demons were on Unleashed. These are extra demons. These are demons that were not there before. And their target is the bride. Because they've already got the denominations. They've already got them on automatic pilot. And some people, even in the message, they feel like cruise control is good. Just you know, cruising along, cruising along. But this is a battle. It's a war. And it's being fought every day. So there is a famine in the land. And where there is famine, there is sickness. And eventually there is death. And so when the brook dried up, God told Elijah, get down there. I've got a woman and she's already prepared to meet your needs. So he goes down there and Brother Branham dramatizes it. He comes down there, maybe by the picket fence, and he sees the place that God had showed him in the vision. And he goes there and he sees the woman that God showed him in the vision. He says, uh, excuse me, ma'am. He said, would you get me a drink of water? 
Now you, you got to get into into the zone, so to speak, or get into get into the realm that they were in. There was a famine. Water was probably the most precious commodity they had, and food was next. And here, a stranger comes up to the woman and says, Hey, can I have a drink of water? And Brother Branham said that she, she went over there and she just said, you know, I'll, I'll go get him a drink of water. Out of her substance that was lacking, she went and prepared some water for him. And, and when he saw that she was going to get the water, he said, Oh, by the way, while you're going to get the water, bake me a cake. And she was ready to do everything he asked until he asked for the cake. And then she said, wait a minute. I've only got a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil. And I was getting ready to prepare that and feed it to my son that we may go and die. Go and die. She was down to her last meal, the last little pot that she had, little bit of meal, little bit of oil. And she said, I'm going to bake it for me and my son, and then we're going to die. Now, this is, this is a, 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 a drastic situation that they're in. And, and I've studied this message of, of the meal offering inside, outside, backwards and forwards. And Brother Branham, now this is not all in one message, but he talks about the widow woman. He said she was the poorest of the poor. She was weary, unable to sleep at night. She was tossed around because of this great tragedy. Big tears dripping from her eyes. For many weeks, listen, for many weeks, she'd had only one meal every three or four days. Many weeks, one meal every three or four days. Her husband had been lost in the battle for the Lord. He trusted God and gave his life for the cause of Israel, even though he was a Gentile. And his, his wife, the widow, she was a Gentile. And then he gets into some details that we, we could not have it unless we had that prophet scope to go into these details. Brother Branham was shown these things. He said her ragged nightgown was just about gone. Her sleeves were all ragged and her arms sticking out of them. She lived decent and honorable and met all of God's requirements. But still the Lord remained silent. Her shoulders were stooped as she sat in her rocking chair. Shedding big tears and looking at her starving baby. Her cheekbones sticking out. Her arms frail as she sat wringing her bony hands. Her bones were dwindling away as the flesh goes from them. She knew that only a handful of meals stood between her and death. And then he says she wasn't going to eat of the cake she was going to bake. She was going to feed her little boy and put him in her arms and die. Pretty drastic. The little boy, Brother Bram said he was about three or four years old. He was unable to sleep over 20 minutes at a time because of his hunger. He had on a ragged nightshirt. He had sinking cheeks. 
His eyes were turning yellow as he was holding his stomach as he asked his mother if she was ready to cook the little cakes. Now, you won't find this all in one message. You won't find it all in one paragraph. You have to glean. You have to be able to search and look. What did Brother Branham say about Elijah? What did he say about the widow woman? What did he say? And when you go there, you get a little glimpse here and a little glimpse here. And when you put them all together, it's like it's like a reel. It's like a, a movie that just comes together. And, and it just takes you, transports you right back to that time of what's going on. Finally, he says the conditions in the land because of the drought and the famine. The whole nation was starving and in a terrible condition. The people in the city of Zarephath were starving to death, screaming for water. It was a reflection of sin and immorality. As the woman looked down the street, she heard the people cursing and carrying on. So now I'd like to invite you to Matthew 27. It's getting quiet or even a little quieter than it was. (laughs) In Matthew 27. Now the elders, the chief elders... In other words, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, they did not like what was going on with Jesus. And they had a conference and they decided this guy has got to go. He's causing too much turmoil here. The people are confused. We got to get rid of this guy. And so they take him. And uh, he goes into Gethsemane. They come and they grab him and they arrest him. And uh, Peter goes and cuts the ear off the soldier. And Jesus takes the ear and puts it back on there. You ever, you ever read that? You ever think about, you know, I mean, if that was me, if I was a soldier and I was going to arrest somebody and one of one of his followers took a sword and cut my fellow soldier's ear off and Jesus just reached down and took the ear and put it back on. I don't think I'd want to arrest that guy. In verse 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and ye shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. How many tens of thousands of people were in the meetings? Where Jesus Christ manifested that he had come again in word form. How many saw? How many heard? You know, many people that I've talked to that were in Brother Branham's meetings. And and then they became a follower, a believer. And they go back to the very meeting that they were in. And they go back and, and they read it. And they said, we didn't hear any of that. We just came to the meeting and said, when's he going to stop preaching and start doing the miracles? So they saw, they heard, but they didn't see and they didn't hear. And I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men 
have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. I can tell you, friends, I feel like the most privileged person that has ever walked on planet Earth. To have access to this supernatural library of what God has done. To be able to listen, uh, the, the healing lines, we can listen to over and over. I think there's about six hours of nothing but Brother Branham speaking and telling people, is that right? Is that right? Is that right? You'll never hear one person say, no, it wasn't right. And we have the privilege of having a pastor that was a friend of the prophet and saw these things close up and personal and was one of the very few ministers that were a friend of the prophet and eventually came in. There were people that wrote, William Branham, a man sent from God, gone. Demas Shakarian saw probably more of the supernatural than probably anybody except Brother Billy Paul, gone. Little wind of doctrine comes, little bad feeling comes. Brother Branham didn't pray for this, didn't do that one, and they're gone. The Bible says, he that endureth until the end shall be saved. I hope we got some end people here that are going to endure all the way into the end, no matter what comes. Matthew in 27. And they take Jesus. Verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And when the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers... There's a little bit of reading here, so bear with me. And they stripped him, and they put on him a scarlet robe. Can you put yourself into the place where the Son of God is surrendering himself, self-sacrifice, knowing that he could have said, okay, he could have called 10,000 angels on the scene in a heartbeat. But he knew what his mission was. You know, when I first came to the message, and I'm reading, and, and sometimes Brother Branham would say things that caused you to just stand up. And he said, now Jesus, God, being a Savior, it was necessary for him to predestinate a race of people who would fall in order to give himself a reason and a purpose for being. Now, that was scrambled eggs for me when I first read it. And I had to read it over. You mean the God before the foundation of the world? God had in his heart that he wanted to be a savior. And for him to be able to manifest a savior. He had to create and predestinate a race of people who would fall. In order for him to fulfill his desire to be a savior. And you are the miracle of this day. As the serpent went into God's Eden, so God has come into Satan's Eden. And God has snatched out a bride in the most wicked, in the most devious, in the most perverted age of all time. God has taken out a bride. So, And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe from him. 
and put on him his own raiment and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man, Simon of Cyrene, to bear his cross. So now we go to the to the actual crucifixion. In verse 37, and they set up over his head his accusation right. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Some people think there was a good thief and a bad thief. No, they were both thieves. And they were getting what they deserved. They were getting what the law required. But Jesus did not deserve that. And and so here they were. And all the people on the ground, they were mocking him and cursed. You can imagine the they had curse words back there. We hear a lot of cursing nowadays, even coming from the mouth of women. Femininity seemed like it's gone out the window nowadays. And so you can imagine the cursing they did while they had Jesus on the cross hanging there. Hanging by his, by his, see, in those days they considered the hands, they considered the wrist a part of the hand. So Jesus wasn't nailed here, he was nailed here. And he was nailed here. And they took his feet, and they made his feet, and they, they crucified his feet. The nails, horrible crucifixion. And this is after he was whipped with 39 lashes. Most people today, they couldn't survive 10 lashes. He got 39 lashes, and then they walked around. I'm going to shorten this. They walked around, and they beat him, and they spit on him, and they kicked him, and they mocked him. All the while, he's there, and he knows who he is. He knows why he's there. He knows what's happening. This is the crowning glory of his ministry as they began to do all these horrible things. And then what happened? The thief on the right All of a sudden, I I believe, this is my own thought, he was the first one who ever experienced the third pull. Here he was, a thief. One minute he's mocking and cursing, the next minute he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. So then they take him off the cross. Let me, let me just read this before we, we say that. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land under the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood there when they heard this, said, this man calleth for Elias. And straight away, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Talk about mockers. Talk about cynicism, skepticism, sarcasm on steroids. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Now, this is one you'll never hear in a Bible school. Or anything other than the message. The explanation of this verse. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose. So all the Old Testament said. While Jesus is on the cross. When he finally yields up up the ghost. Then 
the earth quaked, the rocks rent, and many bodies came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So Jesus is crucified. And after the resurrection, he's resurrected. And in all the Old Testament saints, they all come out of the graves. So now I want to just go back to Leviticus. Just winding down, coming to a close now. Leviticus, the offering said you have to have fine flour and oil. No leaven. Frankincense. No honey. And salt. So those are all the elements that had to go into that meal offering. And then when Elijah found that little woman, she was, she was carrying two sticks. Didn't have four sticks. Didn't have three sticks. She had two sticks like that, like a cross. And Elijah spoke to her. And she was getting ready to take that meal and the oil and put it together and put it on the sticks. That was going to be her last meal. Her meal offering. But Elijah interrupted everything. And from that time, Elijah said, he said, fear not. From from this day, your meal's never going to run out. Your oil's never going to run out. And from that day, she had miracle cakes every day. Every day, the meal and the oil began to multiply and multiply and multiply. And it never ran out. So now let's talk about our life, your life. Because my life right here, this flesh here, this is my meal right here. And the oil is the Holy Ghost. And you got the meal and the oil. Now you've got something going on. Now, I'll tell you, friends, I had had so much religious leaven stuffed into me before I came to the message that I had to have a whole bunch of leaven ripped out of me. Had to have Catholic leaven, Baptist leaven, Pentecostal leaven, UPC leaven. It all had to be stripped out. Finished Bible school. Nine months later, I come to the message. I thought I knew a little bit about the Bible. And I found out here I am at the feet of Elijah like a little baby. Just like a little baby learning all ABCs all over again. So you've got your life. That's, that's, that's your flesh. And that flesh has got to be anointed with the Holy Ghost. Then the leaven has got to go. And you've got to make sure that there's no honey in there. Because when you put honey in there, the honey, it begins to ferment when the heat is applied to it. And then you've got to have the salt. The salt is a preservative. And those that endure unto the end shall be saved. And then after that, then we've got to get on the cross. You've got to take your meal, your personal meal offering. Like Brother John, he's got a meal offering. I've got a meal offering. Brother Derek's got a meal offering. Brother Martin's got a meal offering. We all got a meal offering, an individual walk with God. And every one of us, we have got to crucify this flesh. This flesh, it doesn't go down easy, friends. 
When Jesus came to that cross and those Roman soldiers came there, they were experts at crucifixion. Crucifixion was one of the most horrible deaths a man could have. And these guys, they did it over and over. It was like, you know, no big deal. Bring the thief over here and, and, and sometimes they're screaming and yelling and hollering and begging and they just knock him in the head. Get, get on that cross. They take him. Maybe two or three guys had to hold the hands down and hold, hold the, the, the feet down. And screaming all the time. But when Jesus came to the cross, they never saw one like that before. He never opened his mouth. He laid, he laid down there. And Brother Branham said he opened his hands and he waited for the nails. This is the son of God, friends. This is what he did for you and me. He became that meal offering. Everything that we laid down in Leviticus and, and everything we talked about with the little widow woman. And all of it is coming into play in Jesus' life. Now when Jesus, he came out of the grave, all the rest of the saints, the Old Testament saints came out of the grave. So what's going to happen when the bride, Brother Branham said, when the bride fully realizes who she is, then the rapture will take place. So when your meal and your oil is mixed together, mixed up, the, the flesh, the Holy Ghost now is on your flesh. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Your whole life is centered upon Christ. And you strip out that leaven, strip out the world. Make sure there's nothing foreign in there. Nothing that God would not be pleased with. Nothing that God would. You know, when we hold that cell phone, how clever the devil is. He has put the modern tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's put it right in our hands. Just like Adam and Eve, they, had, they were tempted. So you're going to be tempted by that little device that you put in your hands. And we see children now. Six and seven and eight years old. And, and ten years old. And teenagers. And, and they're in their room. And mom says, well, you know, my Johnny, my Susie. They're safe. They're in their room. And it's early. And so I'm happy. And meanwhile, Johnny and Susie's in there surfing the world. And, and sending pictures and receiving pictures. And, and seeing pornography and all kinds of things. But they're safe. They're in their room. Everything's okay. So when we, last thing, when we are given the privilege, the sacred privilege and the trust that God placed in us, that when we can present our bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And when all the elements, the meal, the oil, no leaven, no honey, salt to preserve it. Then you get on the cross. In Leviticus, it talked about several elements of that offering. One of them, you could be baking in the oven. And, you know, you can't see what's going on in the oven. But the next one, it's in the pan. 
And you can look at the pan. You can see what's going on when the pan. But then when you put them in the frying pan, it's like eggs and bacon. You put those eggs and bacon in the frying pan and you can look down there and you can see what's happening. You can see the action. And sometimes you feel like you're in that frying pan. And, and you see, if, if you have an oven experience, maybe only you and God know what's going on. Nobody else knows it. But maybe if it's a pan experience, maybe, you know, some of the friends, some of your fr- people, they may know what's going on. But when you're in the frying pan, maybe some of your children have rebelled and ran away from the Lord and done all kind of things. Maybe you've had a problem yourself and you've had to come back in that frying pan experience. And people are looking at you. I know what you did. I know where you've been. I know what you said. That's not that's not. The bride of Christ, friend. The bride of Christ, you, you, you're like the father of the rich young ruler. You're waiting for them to come back. And when they come back, you're rejoicing. You're, you're, you're saying, hallelujah, they've come back. They've repented. And now they're my brother, they're my sister again in the word. And so what's going to happen when the bride fully realizes who she is and gets on the cross? Our last scripture is 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 13. And Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even to them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring unto him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Has he done that? Yes. If if you're not familiar, he has done that. The shout, that was the message that came. With a trump, with the voice of the archangel, that was Jesus, the archangel, Jesus came. It was his word. It was him. It was his message that was infused into the flesh of a prophet of God. Traveled the world seven times around the world. Did more things. Jesus did more things in just one of Brother Branham's meetings, more miracles than is recorded in the entire Bible. With a shout, with a voice, with the trump of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. I'm looking for that. Any day, Sister Sharon, we're looking for that. We're looking for them. Whoa! I know who that is. Young, vibrant, dynamic. They would shower sleep. shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I hope these words have been a comfort to you. I trust that you've been able to see that this book is a supernatural book. 
What is prophecy? It's God proclaiming what he's going to do. And then bing, 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 bing. He punctuates his prophecies and he makes them come to pass. And this is the last shout. This is the last call, friends. And you and I are privileged for that call. I think about uh, what Brother Bram talked about Abraham and Sarah. When they were raised, they, they were raised and they went to Jesus and they say, well, would it be okay if we kind of took a whistle stop tour around Jerusalem to see how things have changed? And Jesus said, yeah, go ahead. And, and, and they went around there and they said, oh, somebody's going to recognize it. And they disappeared so they could appear and disappear. What's our life going to be like, friends? I got a perfect type right here. And so when we fully surrender, let's stand. When we fully surrender, when we recognize this sacred trust and responsibility that God has given to us to become the bride of Jesus Christ. But before that, total self-sacrifice, total self-surrender, nail the flesh to the wall. Take that meal, let the oil come there, mix it up real good, and then start living for God. Live for God as if your life depended upon it, because it does. And there's going to be many, friends, many, 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 who are going to have heard these things and have said, well, someday, someday I'm going to get right. You know, I just got to do this one thing, and once I get done with this, then... I'll serve the Lord. How many times have you had people say, ah, I got this great business deal and I'm going to make a million dollars and then I'm going to give it to the missions. And they spend all their time, all their energy, everything, and it never gets done. And the missions never gets done. Our missions is to serve God. Our mission is to be, as Paul said, a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If you'd be kind enough to bow your heads and close your eyes, I'd just like to pray. Lord, I stand in wonder and in awe at what you have done. In our day. And how you're able to track it. All through the Old Testament. And into the New Testament. And all the way to. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel. When he begins to sound. All. I love that word all. It means everything. All. A-L-L. All the mysteries shall be revealed. We thank you Lord. That you have revealed all the mysteries to us. We thank you for a heart. That can receive it. And a soul that can believe it. And manifest the life. And I just want to ask you friends. If you're here tonight. In the middle of this crisis. That, that the world is going through. Perhaps you're in a personal crisis. And maybe you know that you're not where you need to be. Maybe you're not where you once was. But you want to get back to that place. You want to get back to where that sweetness and that refreshing, that frankincense, it just comes out of your life. And it's a sweet smelling savor to everyone you come in contact with. 
You want to live in the holy of holies. If that would be your prayer tonight, say, God, uh, tonight, tonight, afresh and anew, I want to present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. If that would be your prayer, just lift your hand and say, God, that's my prayer. Just lift your hand. You can put it right back down. Lord, only you can change your heart. Only you can take a lump of clay that has come from a little tiny minuscule cell passed from a father to the mother. But in that cell, all the bones and the muscles and the brain and the eyes and the ears and all the thousands of of miles of, of blood vessels All of it was right there in the beginning at that tiny cell that was passed from dad to mom. And then we came into being. God knew us. When many, when many were hearing the things that we're hearing and walked away, there was something inside of you that could say, Lord, this is true. That's me you're talking about. Paul said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things become new. God will separate your sins as far as the east is from the west and cast them into the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's where I want to live, friends. Daily, I want an up-to-date revelation of justification. That means in God's eyes, everything that I ever did in this flesh, in God's eyes, it's just as if I never did it in the first place. Only God can forgive and forget. I want an up-to-date revelation of the sea of God's forgetfulness that everything, every sin, everything I ever did in God's eyes when we come to Christ and we make a commitment, I'm going to be that living sacrifice. In God's eyes, you're just like a newborn baby. And mom and dad, they cuddle that newborn baby in their arms. Sometimes we try to be adults in the message. We need to be babies in the message. We need to be like a little child. When you come as a little child, unless you come like a little child, you're never going to be able to see the word. So tonight, I want to thank you for coming. Thank you for your support. Thank you for what you do for the church. And hopefully soon we can all be reunited. And uh, I can hear amen once in a while. Beside Brother John. (laughs) You don't want to get stuffy, friends. You don't want to get starchy. Maybe you haven't been in that in that presence where a whole bunch of people are gathered together. But I can tell you, I feel that presence right now. When I walk into a church building, I don't have to get uh, I don't have to get pumped up. I don't have to get revved up. I want to go to church revved up and then let them take me from revved up into the realm. I want to be a spiritual astronaut every day of my life. I want to go into realms that are unknown, dimensions unknown. And how do I get there? Through the word, through 1100 plus messages, 1100 masterpiece messages that God has laid down for us. And a lot of us have got supernatural amnesia. We forget what we once rejoiced in. 
we forget that experience, that exaltation of knowing I am the bride of Jesus Christ. I've got to make sure there's no spots, no blemishes, no wrinkles anywhere. I got to be, I, I got to be ready, willing, and able to serve God and become that living sacrifice. If we can sing the song "Created Me a Clean Heart." Last song, and then we're going to close. Created.